One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Noseworthy. Hey, welcome back to the Inflammation Nation. This is part two of gluten sensitivity testing. We're going to pivot the conversation now and just talk about some of the clinical challenges that that I, as well as other clinicians in natural medicine, have been faced as it relates to gluten sensitivity testing. Uh, and I would say that these questions plagued us up until several years ago when uh, Dr. Aristo Vigiani of Cyrex Labs put two and two together and created a gluten sensitivity testing panel that's based on current science. And I say it that way because most labs are stuck somewhere in the 1940s and 50s when it comes to this. But clinical question number one that we've had to contend with as doctors is this. Why, why do some people go gluten-free and feel better, yet when they get tested for gluten sensitivity, the test is negative? So that's one puzzling question. And the second question is, why is it that some people have a positive gluten test and they go gluten-free, but they don't see any results? And we're going to deal with that second question first and come back to the first. And the second question as to why someone can have a positive gluten test, go gluten-free and don't see any results is everything we just went through in the last episode. So if you're dropping into the podcast in this episode and haven't listened to the one right before this, go back and, and listen to that one because you'll get some clarity. But let me give you a quick summary. If you have tested positive for gluten, but a gluten-free diet doesn't work for you, there are questions you have to ask. Number one, are you good at being gluten-free? You know, or, or maybe you're mostly gluten-free and you think that's sufficient. Are you good at being gluten-free on your own, but you're often in situations where you get accidentally exposed, say in restaurants or in social gatherings? How long have you done it? And have you done it long enough to really see the inflammation from avoiding gluten come down? Have you taken out other cross-reactive foods? Remember, there are... Um, uh, a handful of foods like millet, oats, rice, corn, dairy, and sesame that have the potential to trick your immune system into thinking that you're eating gluten when in fact you're not. But the result is the same. You get an inflammatory response from your immune system. Maybe you're eating packaged foods that are labeled gluten-free, but really there's enough gluten in there to fire off your immune system. So the gluten-free diet doesn't work for you. And finally, and I didn't share this one yet, um, are you eating foods that have this statement on the label where the package says manufactured in a plant that also processes wheat? Basically on that last point, when the manufacturer says that, they're telling you that gluten is in their product. So the answer to the conundrum of having a positive test with someone on a gluten-free diet yet still having problems is fairly easy to understand. But what about the other question, which is, why is it that some people have a negative gluten test, but glo going gluten-free actually helps them? Theoretically, if you have a ne negative gluten test, you should be able to eat gluten and not have any issues. Well, the answer is in the deficiency of the testing. There's nothing wrong with the behavior of the person. It's the, the testing methodology. And to understand that, you have to understand, uh, you know, kind of a little bit about the complexity of wheat proteins and that there are not just um, non 
gluten proteins in wheat that can be the problem, but there are actually different types of gluten. And whether or not you find a reaction is completely dependent on which gluten test you're doing and what you're looking for. Now, this is a lot easier to go through if you have a graphic to look at, but alas, this is a podcast and it's audio-based unless you're watching the video version on YouTube, uh, which I don't have graphics on there anyway, so maybe someday we'll start doing that. But here it goes. Let's talk about this. So wheat contains several different proteins that can be immunoreactive, not just gluten. In general, when it comes to consuming wheat, someone can react to the entire wheat complex. That's everything together at once. So for some people, they don't react to gluten as an individual compound. They don't react to, say, the wheat germaglutinin. But when they eat the whole thing, then they react. And so the only way to find that is actually to do a wheat test and not just an isolated gluten sensitivity test. Now, I just mentioned wheat germaglutinin, and that's another reason why the testing might miss the problem. Um, wheat germaglutinin is found in highest amounts in sprouted wheat products. So I, you know, think about Ezekiel bread, which so many people think is okay to eat because it's, you know, after all it's sprouted and does it, doesn't, doesn't sprouting solve all these different issues? And the answer is for some people, yes, but for some people it makes it worse. But then you have gluten itself inside the whole, it's called a proteome, which is like the collection of the different proteins. And so within the proteome of wheat, you have wheat germaglutinin, you have gluten, which actually is made up of two different proteins called gliadin and glutenin. And we'll come back to that. And you also have within this whole constellation of things, you also have the enzyme transglutaminase, which is not part of the wheat proteome, but your body releases transglutaminase, which is an enzyme, from your intestinal cells when you eat gluten so you can break it down. And, you know, there are actually a half dozen or so different types of transglutaminases, but the one of interest here is transglutaminase 2, which is the one released by your gut cells, but it's also the one that's associated with celiac disease. So you can react to any of these things when you eat wheat. You can react to the wheat germaglutinin, but not the gluten. But you can react to the gluten, but you might be reacting to one of two different proteins, gliadin or glutenin, and you also might react to transglutaminase. And to make matters even a little bit more complicated, we're not going to explore this, at least not in this episode, you might actually react not to gluten, not to transglutaminase, the enzyme, but you might react to the complex of the enzyme when it's attached to the gluten. And so it starts getting very complex. Thankfully, we have testing to sort all this out. And if none of those are an issue, maybe you just react to the entire group, right? And you're really wheat sensitive rather than just simply gluten sensitive, right? They're related, but they're different. Now, let me go back to gluten. I just said that gluten is actually two different proteins. It's gliadin plus glutenin. And in years past, glutenin was considered to be non-reactive. But we now know that gluten or glutenin can be as reactive as the other protein in gluten, which is called gliadin or gliadin. But regular gluten sensitivity tests that your MD would order doesn't look at that. And if you're a person who reacts to gluten, but you're reacting to the glutenin portion, your test is not going to pick it up and your doc is going to tell you that you're not gluten sensitive. So go ahead and eat wheat and other grains that might have gluten in it with impunity. So you eat wheat and you feel worse and you avoid it and you feel better and you're left confused because your doc told you that gluten was the issue, but your real world experience says, hey, gluten's a problem for me. 
you're right and the doctor's wrong. And so let me explain that. Again, I said a moment ago that gluten is made up of two proteins called gliadin and glutenin. And what you need to know is that there are, are different types of gliadins, um, but since about the 1950s up until, you know, say the early 2000s, the only gluten sensitivity test that was available anywhere to anyone tested only for one of the many types of gliadin, and that is called alpha-gliadin. And the reason for that is because when celiac was first discovered, the original research was all based on reactivity to alpha-gliadin. And for decades, celiac disease dominated gluten-related research, and it all focused on alpha-gliadin. And the idea that there were different types of gliadins which were not being tested or that someone could have gluten sensitivity without having celiac disease was really unheard of. Until somewhere, you know, somewhere around the, the 1990s, I believe, when researchers started teasing out that these different types of gliadins are present, equally immunoreactive, and then started breaking down the wheat proteome into finer detail to see exactly which proteins existed within wheat that could trigger immune responses. And it turns out those are a lot more than just alpha-gliadin that can do it. But historical testing focused on one potential trigger in a world or a domain where there could be a dozen different triggers. And so someone somewhere along the way coined the phrase non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And more researchers validated that alpha-gliadin and celiac disease were not, not the limited or were not limited to the larger world of gluten sensitivity. It wasn't just about celiac disease, and it's not just about alpha-gliadin. And so here comes Dr. Vigiani to the rescue again. And what I love about Dr. Vigiani is that he, listen, he's not your typical researcher. And I, and I know this guy personally. If you don't know this, most researchers are they're kind of of a different breed. And a lot of times there's this disconnect between what's being researched and how it's being done and what we need as clinicians helping real people with real problems in the real world. But Dr. Vigiani can actually bridge the gap. He understands both worlds. He'll listen to us as clinicians and then he'll scour the research to see what the science has to say about our questions and then come up with testing that gives us the information that we need to know to help people like you. And then the context of this topic, he created the most comprehensive gluten and gluten cross-reactivity testing that's out there. Now, since they started doing this, other companies are trying to do something similar. So now there's more things available to us, but they're, in my opinion, they're the gold standard, so to speak. So not only can we now test for wheat sensitivity, we can break that down into wheat germaglutinin or glutenin and transglutaminase, and perhaps most importantly, the different subtypes of gliadin, not just the alpha gliadin, but other versions like gamma or delta and so on. And so this answers the first conundrum, like how is it that someone has a negative gluten test but goes gluten-free and they feel better and then they eat gluten and they feel worse despite what the test tells them? And the answer is that whoever did the testing just didn't look hard enough, right? They used the outdated alpha-gliadin test, checking for one of maybe a dozen different ways that someone could react to gluten or weed and falsely declared that everything was fine. So don't buy it. Just because someone says, hey, you're not reacted to gluten, only trust it if you've done complete and exhaustive testing. 
So if you're going to get tested for gluten, you have to follow a couple of rules. Number one, you have to be eating it to get reliable results and to avoid false negatives. We talked about that several episodes ago when we started talking about food sensitivities. You have to use a test that checks for the spectrum of gluten sensitivity and not just the isolated alpha-gliadin. That would be like, like, let's say you misplaced your cell phone and you live in a six-bedroom, three-bathroom house and you only check the downstairs bathroom for your phone and you don't find it and you conclude, well, it's not in the house. Well, you didn't look through the rest of the house, so how can you say it's not in the house? It's the exact same premise. And finally, there is a separate test through Cyrex that tests for gluten cross-reactivity. So gluten sensitivity testing in a complete sense and cross-reactivity testing are two separate tests. And sometimes it makes sense to run both at the same time, especially if you're thinking about replacing gluten with the most common gluten-free grains and foods that are out there. Now, when it comes to going gluten-free, you have a couple of options. You can just go gluten-free but still eat other grains. In that case, you really need to know if you're cross-reacting. Or you can simply adopt something like a paleo diet and take out all grains. That way you don't run the risk of accidentally eating cross-reactive foods that trick your immune system into thinking that you actually are eating gluten when you're not. All right, so this episode is a wrap. If you want to see what's available through Cyrex Labs, go to CyrexLabs.com. In the meantime, please make sure to follow this podcast, like this episode, leave a positive rating. It helps other people find the information they need that they need because you know what? We are all in this together. So until next time.